Vodacom's interim numbers showed a marginal increase uh, in headline earnings, but data revenue in South Africa outpaced voice for the first time, and its acquisition of Safaricom is starting to reap results. So we caught up with its CEO, Shamil Jusup, for the details on that. Nampak, Africa's largest packaging company, saw a 15% rise in its annual earnings, boosted by its metal cans unit. But it's still held back on a dividend because of liquidity issues that persist in some of its African markets. CEO Andre Dereta will be shedding some light on its outlook in uh, regards to that. And uh, higher volumes in Zimbabwe and Rwanda managed to offset lower volumes in South Africa for cement maker PPC. We catch up with CEO Johannes Klaassen. Paul Clark from Ashburton Investments in the meantime joins us in studio to bring us up to speed with some of the latest trends developing on the Zimbabwean Stock Exchange and where he's seeing opportunity right now. And then Toronto-listed miner Alphamin is hoping to leverage off stronger investor appetite for Rand hedge stocks in South Africa as it plans a secondary listing on the JSC's alternative exchange to raise capital for its tin project in the DRC, in which the country's government holds a 5% stake. Bronwyn chatted to the company's CEO, Boris Kamstra, to take a closer look at mining in the Democratic Republic of Congo and its progress on finding alternative revenue sources. So we've got all of that coming up over the next half half hour, but let's kick things off with some news. Africa's foreign inflows are expected to stage a big jump this year. Nigeria's Vice President Yemi Osinbajo reckons that FDI could hit $75.5 billion by the end of this year. That's a 33% rise from last year when investment inflows totaled just over $56 billion. Osinbajo cited an improving outlook for the continent despite the difficult global economic environment. Africa's 2017 GDP growth is pegged at around 3.4%, and is expected to expand 4.3% next year. Ghana has a new mobile operator that's looking to challenge MTN. India's largest telcos company, Bharti Airtel, and the Ghanaian unit of Swedish mobile operator, Millicom, have merged their operations in the country, and that will see the creation of Ghana's second largest player in that space. The new company, Airtel Tigo, will be serving 10 million subscribers, which is just under a third of phone users in Ghana. South Africa's MTN is the continent's leading operator and has a market share of 47.5% in the West African nation. Other mobile operators include Vodafone and Globacom of Nigeria. In the meantime, Safaricom's profits slowed in the first half, hit by political uncertainty in Kenya. The telecoms company reported a 6.8% rise in earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortization to $523.8 million. That's compared with a jump of over 30% in the same period last year. The slowdown has been attributed to a faltering Kenyan economy affected by the prolonged political turmoil. But while Safaricom's growth may have stalled, its expansion plans are in full gear. The company says it will launch an e-commerce service known as Masoko later this month, which is modeled on China's Alibaba. Despite the political turmoil in the country, Kenya's 
plans to build a coast-to-coast -coast highway in a bid to boost African trade is on track. The East African nation has signed a $620 million agreement with a consortium which includes South Africa's Group 5 and the Development Bank of South Africa. And the plan is to build a 329-mile highway which it hopes will support its role as a regional hub and serve as a link between countries like Burundi, Rwanda and Uganda. Work is due to start in mid-2018 and should be completed within four years. The consortium will operate and maintain the road for 25 years after it's opened. Plans to revamp Zimbabwe's railways could soon gain traction. A recapitalization deal between South Africa's Transnet and the National Railways of Zimbabwe is expected to be finalized soon, following the swearing-in of Zimbabwe's new president, Emerson Mnangagwa, last month. Transnet secured the $400 million project in August, but negotiations were hampered by succession fights in Zimbabwe's ruling party. NRZ chairperson Larry Mavima says the revamp should now be on track for the first quarter of next year. Zimbabwe's state railway firm has begun or has been rather struggling to remain profitable amidst dilapidated infrastructure and outdated signal equipment. Of course, the main priority of the country's new president is to rebuild the country's economy from the ground up with the economy half the size it was back in 2000. Sketchy financial reporting has led to three Glencore executives bowing out. The internal review at its Katanga mining operations in the DRC have revealed weaknesses in reporting controls at the unit. And with that, Glencore's ushered in its CFO, uh, Stephen Kalman, as well as three new directors to Katanga's board to get a handle on its governance and accounting practices. The company's head of copper is amongst the directors who resigned after the review. This all comes amidst a probe by the Ontario Securities Commission on Katanga's governance practices and its compliance with international anti-corruption laws with Katanga Mining listed in Toronto. Well, straight after the break, we catch up with the, the CEOs of some of Africa's biggest companies, Vodacom, Nampak and PPC, and they drill into some of the detail behind how their African operations are impacting earnings. So stay tuned. While some of Africa's leading businesses were out with results this past month, showing resilience in the face of tough market conditions, telecoms company Vodacom posted a marginal uptick in earnings for its interim period, with its issuance of new shares to secure Safaricom a stake having held back earnings growth. And while that contributed to shareholders receiving less of a dividend than a year ago, CEO Shamil Jusup says the recent purchase of that 35% stake in the Kenyan telcos player fits into its Africa strategy and will pay off down the line. I think it's, it's, it's a very powerful because, I mean, it was really a prize asset in mm. Africa. Um, and to put into perspective, the 35% that we have in Safaricom is equal to our whole other international portfolio. So, so quite a transformational asset for us. Strong growing uh, asset, 12% up in revenue, 9% up in, uh, in, 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 in profits. 
but uh, and, and normalized up 20% because there was a once-off last year. So very strong growth in, and very strong growth in M-Pesa as well. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, M-Pesa uh, still growing at uh, uh, almost 17%. So, you know, I think Safaricom as a as a um, and and Kenya as a country, uh, strong strong growth potential even going forward. Shamil Joseph, CEO of Vodacom, Nampak's metal can business in the meantime helped boost its annual profits. The company reported a 15% rise in earnings while trading profit ticked up 3%. But Nampak declared no dividend as it sticks to its strategy to improve its financial position and conserve cash. A lot of which is still tied down in Angola. Andre Dureta, CEO of Nampak, gave us some detail on that. The cash pile is unfortunately most of it sitting in Angola. Okay. And we are struggling to convert Kwanzaa, which we've got a lot of, 2.2 uh, billion rand to be exact. Um, we're struggling to uh, repatriate that into dollars and then into rands that we can use to pay a dividend. And while we don't have certainty on the timeline when liquidity will be restored mm -hmm. to that market, as it has now been restored in Nigeria, eventually it will come right. But while we don't have access to that, we believe that it wouldn't be prudent to start paying a dividend if we are not assured that it would be uh, a sustainable dividend. And that is what we're trying to implement. And you're happy with the progress that you're making on the Nigerian front? Absolutely. Um, liquidity in Nigeria is effectively no longer a problem. That was Andre Dereta, CEO of NAMPAC. In the meantime, investments in Zimbabwe and Rwanda have been transformational for PPC. Robust performance at uh, these two operations helped the company lift half-year earnings by 36%. CEO Johannes Klaassen detailed how its rest of Africa is compensating for lower volumes in its home market, South Africa, as well as the progress it's making in its DRC and Ethiopian operations. You may recall that some years ago we started uh, with a keeping the home fires burning and expanding outside uh, South Africa uh, strategy and I think we have, we have spent our capital now. So although none of the uh, mentioned uh, plants uh, is fully ramped up, um, they specifically Zimbabwe and Rwanda is really starting to add value so the portfolio effect is started starting to work quite well. And it's what we always strive for, to, to, to be not exposed to a single country only, but to have this portfolio effect that well, the one will help the other when the other is down and so on and so forth. Mm. Uh, and you, you'd expect DRC to be operating at full capacity this time next year? Well, let's not uh, overcommit ourselves, um, but we, we think that from a, from a ramping, ramp up uh, point of view, we'll probably say that, that we'll first year we'll do a third and next year another third, another third in three years time. We should be in our at full capacity. It obviously depends on the on, on, on the market conditions. Uh, and the same with Ethiopia. Uh, absolutely the same. Ethiopia is a, is a bit better, or much better, as a matter of fact. Uh, so Ethiopia, we have uh, we have sold some cement before we even have started. So it was like a backlog, um, and it was it was it was quite it was brilliant. I mean, you you, pr you produce two wards uh, sales, which is which is. Uh, uh, tells you that that we are actually, or conceivably, Ethiopia can run out of capacity in in in, in future again. Mm. So it's a, a very good news story in in uh, Ethiopia. But remember, we have only 38% uh, share in the, in the Ethiopian asset. 
So those just a few companies making headlines. Of course, PPC's performance helped by, amongst others, a robust performance in Zimbabwe. And that's where we turn focus to right now, honing in on some of the markets activity we've been seeing on that end. And joining me for the discussion is Paul Clark from Ashburton Investments. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today. So let's take a look at the movement we've seen uh, in the Zimbabwean market post Emerson Mnangagwa's inauguration, because we've got some of the euphoria now turning into focus on uh, the what next. But we know that, uh, uh, you know, contrary to what you would have expected, the market's been falling back simply because of where it had been prior uh, to his reinstatement as uh, president. Mm. So, so, you know, as we know, the, the one of the big problems that Zimbabwe had is a, a current account deficit, and they were short of U.S. dollars, physical U.S. dollars, which is their currency um, in the, that they use. And so... As a store of wealth, people had been buying into the equity market. Essentially, because if you've got money in the bank in US dollars, you couldn't draw it out because there were no dollars in the ATMs, and you couldn't get it out the country because the uh, central bank had no dollars. So in, the, in that sense, the market was one place to put your money. So we saw the market almost double from the end of August. Um, but what people then start to do is say, really, what is the value of the dollar in Zimbabwe because you should be putting some discount on it and one thing we know you can do is you can buy the old mutual uh, dual listed share in Zimbabwe it takes you two to three uh, weeks to move that share to the South African register and then you can sell it in South Africa however had you done that you'd have had to take almost an 80% haircut uh, over the last couple of months so obviously you've got to decide whether it's that bad that you that you prepare to give up 80% of your money and at least get 20% out. So, so the market had gone up spectacularly. So clearly when people started to think that uh, once Nangagwa comes in, uh, things will change dr drastically and you'll be able to get your dollars out and the, the currency will be more freely available, um, people started to sell shares again. Uh, and so the market fell. Also the old mutual share price fell. And at the moment, if you want to use that exit route, uh, because you think that there's still going to be some difficulties, you would take about a 50% haircut. So the currency, if you want, in Zimbabwe has fallen back from almost six to the dollar. Mm -hmm. These are dollars, but the dollars stuck in Zimbabwe, shall we call them, back down to just about two and a quarter uh, yesterday. Uh, from all that you've said, uh, Paul, two questions uh, emanate. The first is, uh, has the market now fallen back, uh, you know, to... to uh, to levels that justify current valuations in your book and secondly do you want to exit at this point uh, you know where mm. we're possibly sitting at mm. the cusp of a turning of the tide within that economy mm. and I think what one has to decide is is how what has really happened uh, and essentially what we've had is a change of leadership in ZANU-PF um, and, and nothing really else more so we still have the same governing party yes certainly we have a president who seems a lot more pragmatic, has always been known to be more business friendly. So that's good. Um, then uh, on the other side, um, they, you know, they still have a physical US dollar shortage, but maybe there's some easy ways they can fix that. One of those would be to get rid of the indigenization bill. Um, they haven't really been applying it that much, but the fact is it is on the statute books. And so some people certainly haven't been investing in Zimbabwe because of that bill. And then also, you know, there, there are a lot of talks that the IMF is, is, is going to Zimbabwe shortly. There are a lot of, uh, of creditors and DFIs like the African Development mm -hmm. Bank looking at how they can help Zimbabwe with their current account deficit. So if that happens, 
in the near term there'll be some dollars available, but fundamentally the economy won't be fixed. Uh, and so one has to decide, you know, the companies there that are, that are doing quite well, some of them have done well like, like Econet because uh, people couldn't get their money out the bank and so you c- using their eco-cash uh, system of moving money around but using their cell phones. And so, you know, some of the companies have done well because of that, uh, but the consumer still doesn't have a lot of money. Companies like Delta are good uh, brewers, but they, but they have really struggled with disposable income being under pressure. So do you maintain uh, your view on Zimbabwe right now where, you know, it has been shrouded in a whole lot of uncertainty? Uh, you know, you've been hesitant to actually step into that mm. territory and uh, open up exposure to that market more. Mm. Yes, I, uh, for, for me, certainly the risks are still quite high as to how this change in leadership uh, pans out. Uh, although, as I said, there might be some near-term benefits. And, and I think the equity market is still quite expensive for where the economy's at, and that'll take quite a long time to fix. Okay, what would you need to see to move the needle on your position? Um, I think we, you know, we're, we're going to have to see whether there's significant policy changes and whether we're going to see an election come uh, August next year, uh, which, is, which is planned and which Ngagwa says is gonna happen, whether that is free and fair, how they try and make that as transparent as possible, and, and assuming that's on a PF win again, uh, and Mgagwa is still in charge, that he really has some serious positive policies uh, to, to reinvigorate that economy. Let's leave it there, Paul. Thanks so much for having joined us in studio this evening. Of course, Paul Clark is with Ashburton Investments. Up next, uh, the CEO of Toronto-listed miner Alphaman Resources gives us the lowdown on what it takes to mine in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So don't go away. While DRC-focused miner Alphaman Resources has already managed to lock down over 80% of the $172 million it needs for the de- development of its tin mine in the DRC, it's now exploring alternative sources of revenue and as such is targeting a listing on the JSC's Altex next year. Bronwyn caught up with the company's CEO, Boris Kamstra, to check in on some of the challenges it faces in the DRC and why it's decided on a secondary inward listing on the JSC. There's quite a big body of knowledge around the project in South Africa already as a consequence of all of the consultants we're using, the mining industry are aware of it. And on the back of that, there are many people who would like to make an investment in Taufman. And for them, Toronto stock exchange is a little foreign, a little far. Um, the mining investors in South Africa at the moment are looking for a potential good story. I mean, it has been quite hard environment to be investing in mining in South Africa at the moment. So I think the conditions are ripe. We also offer a bit of a rand hedge to to people who would like that kind of investment. The company also, you vaguely touched on it, there has ties to South Africa, and that must also factor into why a listing here is a good idea. Yes, uh, the IDC is a uh, shareholder right at the project level, and then we're using people like DRA, who've just come off the wildly successful Kibali project, which is just to the north of us. Um, we use many of the s- supplies in terms of 
machinery and components that are go going into our mine. So there is a big, big body of knowledge within the South African context and, and interest. So how do you get investors to buy into a project like this? Because I read an analyst comment that says the obstacles to building new mines in virgin areas in politically unstable countries would deter all but the most determined, optimistic and pragmatic individuals. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think they're being generous to an extent. We, 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 are, we are fairly risk averse. And certainly, if we are going to take a risk, we want to be able to see a commensurate return or a multiple thereof. This program has been at least four years in the making and been very carefully worked out step by step. And we are now reaching the almost final phase. The final phase, obviously, will be, be bringing Basir into or bringing Palmer North into production. We will then start developing all the other projects that exist further down the ridge. Political instability, I think the world at the moment is not exactly a shining light for uh, political stability anywhere. Um, the DRC government have said that they will have elections in February 2018. So there is a degree of certainty around that. And the, the political environment is about political power, who's governing the country. It isn't about the changing the economic makeup and matrices of the country. You know, we invest against a mining code, which is exactly the same for uh, Rand Gold, for Ivanhoe, for Glencore NRC. And you can be sure that should that be tinkered with, I'm going to have to duck as Mark Bristow, Robert Friedland, Ivan Glassenberg and others come charging to the front to make their discontent known. So the, the rules are set. We all know the rules. We all understand the rules. Sure, political leaderships are going to change, as in South Africa um, and other countries. So it does get a degree of perception of risk because it's far away and, and you're not really in it. Getting buy-in from government must be something that you've got to work really hard to do. And with mining projects like this, it doesn't only centre on the mine. There must be a lot of infrastructure that has to come with it and that must be a good sell to governments when you go into a country like the DRC. It, it is both a sell and a little bit of a bone of contention but certainly in, in, in this particular instance we were taking or we are taking a, a hill, a mine that was the source of incredible problems for them in that particular area and transforming it to being a driver for the economic development of North Kivu. And mine, mining being a pioneering industry, we suck in and we have to fix up roads. We, we brought in a cell phone mast. Previously, there was no communication there. We're bringing in a bank. There isn't a bank in our area. Um, so all of these things mining bring in, and certainly we've received incredible support from the government, to the extent that the Minister Mines North Kivu has been on site 11 times this year. There is a separate committee of the North Kivu government that has been constituted specially to assist us build and bring Basir into production. What kind of roll-on effect does this have to your capex? Because it's not only the mine, like you said, you're building banks, you're building schools. How does that factor into the money that you're putting into a project like this? It, it certainly does impact on it. We, we have to, we don't necessarily have to, we had to build our access road, which is a 38 kilometer road, which we built initially by hand, 600 men, um, built it by hand and built some of the most extraordinary timber bridges that regrettably we've uh, had to re replace with somewhat sturdier structures. <laughs> um, we are busy working on the Goma to Walikali Road, 
which is a logistical nightmare at the moment, but we will get over it. Uh, you know, these are problems that an engineer can tackle and sort out. It's, it's the, the, our biggest problem initially was getting buy-in from the communities around us and the people amongst we live, the, our hosts in the area, as to how are we going to impact on their lives. And we have been, I think, relatively successful in that we have two songs of praise that were spontaneously written, recorded, composed, and broadcast for In Praise of Alphaman. And well, I won't get you to, to sing them. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you have brought us something from the mine that we, that we can look at. Sitting here in front of me is some of the ore body and some of the tin that is mined there as well. You're hoping to reach steady state production by 2019. So we'll be seeing a lot of more of this little guy coming from there. But what kind of demand is there globally for tin at the moment? Tin at the moment is probably running around 300 to 350,000 tons. About 30,000 tons of that comes from the recycling market. There is a, a structural problem in the tin mining industry in that tin is very, very hard to find an economic grade. And all the mines that have been operating have been operating for a long time. So their grade profiles are dipping, their production abilities are, are declining. It is predicted that there's going to be a gap in the supply-demand curve going forward that starts in about 2018 and moves forward getting worse as we go progressively forward, which the International Tin Research Institute has figured out that if, print, if tin runs at a price of about $25,000 a ton, it'll bring those marginal producers in and be able to cope with the increasing demand. That was Boris Kamstra, CEO of Alphamin Resources. And that's a wrap of our news roundup on the continent. Uh, you can tune in next week at the same time, same place for our last episode of Africa Inc. for the year, where very aptly we take a look at Africa's tourism sector as we head into the holiday season. Until then, from me, Alicia Sekham and the rest of the team, it's goodbye. <laughs>